I, I believe, or the, the foundation of product opportunity mapping is that if you want to create a successful product, you have to ask and answer four questions. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to Mr. Bruce Alton. How you doing, Bruce? I'm doing fine. Tyler, thanks for inviting me to your show. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. We had the opportunity to meet as many as my audience knows. I'm a member of Tech, which is an executive leadership group. And we have the uh, privilege of often getting speakers. And some are better than others. And this happened to be a really good one. So I decided to take our uh, our relationship a little bit farther and connect and have you on the show. So that's how we met. What we're going to really get into is you you... You have a dynamic past. You've been involved in a lot of uh, startups and, and some exits. And more importantly, what you're doing now where it really caught my attention is around product opportunity mapping. So I'm going to put that out there to kind of hook the audience's interest and then give it over to you. You are a partner at A Partner Ventures, Partners Ventures, Inc. So give us a little elevator pitch. What do you do? What's A Partners? What's it all about? And then let's unpack this whole product opportunity mapping framework you've got going on. <laughs> Sure, I'd love to. Uh, so I do two things in my life. I have a, a company called A Partners Ventures, and and about half my time I'm an angel investor. So I have a an investment thesis. I'm based in Edmonton, and uh, at the University of Alberta, we have a really strong artificial intelligence, machine learning research group there. A lot of great talent coming out of the U of A. So my investment thesis on on my angel investing side is how can we take artificial intelligence related technologies and that's pretty broad it means computer vision machine learning a bunch of different areas and how can we use that 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 technology to solve alberta's business problems so it kind of skews towards uh problems here in alberta so i spend about half my time in that as either an investor or a co-founder i've been doing more co-founding of companies lately and then the other half of my time is, as you noted, I have an advisory practice. Uh, it's based on a framework I've developed called product opportunity mapping. And really what it is, it, it's a framework that helps companies identify, evaluate, and select new products to develop and pursue. And so I, you know, I work with a bunch of startups for free as a mentor to Techstars and a bunch of other programs. And then uh, but my largest client is a, a $4 billion company and uh, revenue company. And it's really interesting because even that big company and the clients in between that are 250 million or 50 million or the startups, they have a lot of the same challenges in developing new new products. So I have this advisory practice. Um, I've been doing this for about five years and I spent about half my time doing the advisory work and about half my time in the, in the uh, angel investing uh, co-founding space. So what I'm hearing is no, no, no dull days and not a lot of spare, a lot of quote unquote spare time. <laughs> well, it's something, you know, I, and I, I just feel very passionate about product development. I mean, it's that whole notion of creating something out of nothing. You know, you just, it just fascinates me that, you know, for a startup, if you don't have a product, you're not going to exist, but all startups and, and companies like yours and big companies, someone has an idea and they think about it and then they design something, they build it, they launch it, they make money, they hire people and like they create something out of, of nothing. And I, that this whole notion just is fascinates me. So I'm very fashion, uh, passionate about it. It doesn't really feel like work quite honestly. Uh, but I think it's, it's obviously, you know, really important part of, of wealth creation. And, and if you, you know, translate creating something out of nothing in a business environment, that's new product development. As your journey, chicken, egg, cart, horse, you were in business, you were building things, just think, just thinking to the product market, product, product opportunity mapping framework that you have. Did you kind of stumble almost backwards into it and realize the need and the gap? Or was that something you were always passionate about out of the gate? Cause product development is certainly something you hear a lot more about lately and i've had a lot of guests on the show going oh man if i could just find like a product manager with 10 years experience in alberta you hear that term so much more and you often i often hear it with a gap or oh i wish we had more of that is that something that you kind of found yourself evolving into and also is it just becoming more of a common terminology and a way of approaching things in the, the world we live in yeah, I think it is. I mean, the whole notion of product management is as a career is is more of a recent phenomenon, probably in the last 10 years. And so okay. I think there's two things to unpack here. One is, you know, there is a lot more focus on product development. And I, I do think that in Alberta, we actually have some unique challenges compared to other parts of the world. We can unpack that. Okay, yeah. Uh, but for me, I, you know, it was a bit by accident. And, you know, I you kind of follow your passions a bit, but my, my career, I was probably the unique thing about my career is that, you know, the four or five major roles that I held in companies, I joined companies at a pretty senior level, kind of in a C level, 
But the unique thing was I joined these businesses with zero experience in the industry before I joined the company. Okay. So I, you know, I did a startup back in the early nineties, which was kind of the dawn of the internet. And, and then I was involved in a few venture capital initiatives. And then I worked for a company here in Edmonton, which was uh, an advanced manufacturing business company called Microline. And we made components in the scale of microns, like tiny, you know, there's a thousand microns in millimeter. And and then I spent 10 years as the chief operating officer of a, a, a privately held company it was in real estate, oil and gas. And we had some investments in, in technology companies. But all those businesses, I was had zero experience in those industries before I joined the company. So what that forced me to do was really ask the dumb questions. I had to go in and say, like, how do you make money here? Like, how, how does the industry work? You know, how, how do things work? So that really forced me to get back to basics and back to fundamentals. And. And I realized after the fact in the last five years, there was a, some common threads about, you know, it doesn't matter if you're an advanced manufacturing company or a real estate business or a $4 billion company or startup, there's four or five key questions you always have to ask and answer related to new products. And it doesn't matter the industry. And so that's kind of the foundation of what product opportunity mapping is all about is, is getting back to the fundamentals of product development. Uh, I appreciate that. And I, we will get into those because that's, that's what I'm dying to ask. But you said something about uh, unique Alberta challenges or something that, that that really makes it different here. And I love this is, hey, we're, we're, we're a Calgary, Alberta, Western Canada-based podcast. So I always want yeah. to fight to bring it back. So thank you for leading the witness. Thanks for leading me on right down that way. <laughs> what is it about Alberta that makes that unique, special, or different than other jurisdictions? Well, I, I mean, this is just my my thoughts, but I, I'm based in Edmonton and and uh, I've been born and raised Edmontonian, born and raised Albertan, Albertan. And this is clearly a kind of an Edmonton Calgary issue or, or here's my my premise. And so back in uh, when I started a company called Blackstone Multimedia it was a startup and we we're you're a man of a certain age and we were making CD, <laughs> we were making CD ROMs. And, I got uh, it. No you know, need to explain what that is. Yeah, OK. <laughs> and our kind of big break was we did work for Apple and uh, down at down in the valley. And so it kind of opened our eyes to what was going on elsewhere. And then, uh, you know, so you got exposed to a lot of a lot of startups. And then when I worked for Microline, you know, we did a lot of work in the telecom space. And so we were working with companies down in the valley and in, in, in Ottawa. And Ottawa is kind of an interesting example. I use that. And so it was the, you know, in the 90s, uh, early 2000s, there was a big boom in the telecom space. And so you had companies like Nortel and JDSU mm-hmm. and and others. And and all that really kind of what drove me nuts is a lot of the people from the U of A and, and the U of C would end up in these companies and these other cities and they were creating these really successful product companies, but it was not happening here in Alberta. I was like, you know, why is that? And I think the reason why, I mean, we can dig into it more, but I, I really think the reason why is that in Alberta, our business DNA is really focused on focusing on selling commodities. Okay. So we're really good in the oil and gas sector. We make a ton of money there, agriculture, you know, forestry, whatever it is. And in a commodity business, you're selling stuff, but you're a price taker. Yeah. And so you're it, you can't really differentiate your product so much to get a higher price because the market, the world sets the price for oil. You know, a, a, bar- a barrel of oil or wheat or a lumber or whatever it is. And so our kind of DNA yeah, yeah, yeah. was just focused on developing, you know, commodities. And so more recently, we've seen, you know, as the DNA is kind of evolving, we're seeing more and more people having those skills related to product development. So in Ottawa, just going back to the Ottawa example, you know, they had, um, you know, they Ottawa and Edmonton are very similar, kind of government town, really good university, good research institutions. But there they had, you had Bell Northern Research, which was Nortel, and then you had JDSU. And in that telecom boom, there were tons of startups. It was an unbelievable startup community. And that really built itself in the DNA. But the reason why is you'd have a someone at Nortel was a product manager. They would link up with a researcher at a university. They do a startup and they would build these these companies. And I don't think it's an accident that Shopify is based in Ottawa because a lot of the DNA came from that. And if you look at um, you know all the successful uh, uh, technology cities in the world, you know, look more Silicon Valley because that's everyone looks at that. But if you look at Seattle, you look at Austin, you look at Boston. Seattle, you had Microsoft and Amazon. Austin, you had Dell Computer. Austin, you had. Uh, a lot of mainframe companies back in the day and biotechnology companies. You had these anchor tenant product companies where people made money, 
they got experience there, they got stock options, and then they spun out and kind of created this virtuous cycle of things. We don't have that in Alberta, or we didn't have that. And, you know, you might have had a Nortel well, we, manufacturer. We did, but it was tied to the energy sector, to your point. Yeah, exactly. 100%. That's what I'm saying yeah, in technology. Completely. We're the world-class experts in engineering, construction, oil and gas, all things that all surround things. that hub tenant or that yeah. anchor. I like the anchor tenant comment. Even yeah. Kitchener Waterloo, and I've had people on talking yeah. about the impact and that, Royal that Rim, Rim, Rim had there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's a, that's another great example. So anyway, just, I think that's part of the problem. It's changing in Alberta. I mean, for the better, you look at the exits in, in Calgary and look at companies like Benevity there and, mm-hmm. and Solium and up and Edmonton, got DriveWise and LTML and, and BioWare exits in the, in the past. All, I'm pretty sure if we went back and did a DNA analysis of those companies, yeah. you'll see the common threads. So it's creating a virtuous cycle because now people are investing more locally. And and so it's getting better, but I think that's that's kind of hampered us for a number of years. But to your point, it's hard to it's hard to fast forward that or it's hard to, it's hard to, to quantum leap over that. Like there is the, you know, 10 years late to a 20 year plan. Like some of this just is time of moving yeah. far enough down. The, yeah. So you yeah. get the spinoffs, you get the founders, the initial, you know, uh, members of the teams that then have big exits, but they're still, they're far from done, but now they have a Rolodex, they have experience, they have battle scars <laughs> from doing these product yeah. companies. So they go back into what they're comfortable with or what they know. Yeah, And, and, and you're right. And then a venture capital fund, I mean, it's five to seven years to where you got to make your money. So you do yeah. startup and the exits seven years later. Well, that's the exit. That's where the money comes from. And then to do it again. So you're right. It does take time. It does take generations. So unfortunately, you know, in like government, you look at government policy and that sort of stuff. It's four year cycles. It doesn't really fit, you know, within that. But you're right. It does does take time. We need to be patient. Uh, which I do feel, even you and I had this conversation three years ago, it would have, it feels different now, or certainly my optics on it. Yeah. And when you throw yourself into the community, you tend to feel like you're seeing it more. That's the that whole recency and you know that part of your brain that goes, oh my God, I'm seeing blue cars everywhere because I'm yeah. looking for blue cars. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I look at is, so I, I'm a member of the, the A100, which is the Alberta uh, Entrepreneurs, Technology Entrepreneurs Organization. And I went to an event uh you know, last fall when things kind of opened up again, it was here in Edmonton and kind of like, you know, technology companies. And there was a lot of people I didn't know. And, you know, the community was so small before, yeah, like I yeah. go to Edmonton or Calgary, it's all the usual suspects. <laughs> and I went to this event and I'm like, wow, I don't know anybody. And it was fantastic That's because amazing. there's all these people doing these startups, right? Most of them are going to fail or they'll, you know, they'll, something will happen, but a few of them are going to be successful. So I think we need to you know, as a community, we got to fill the fat end of the funnel. We got to have more. The failure rate's very, very high. So you got to increase the quantity of deals, but yeah. then also you've got to increase the quality of deals and 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 companies. And that's happening because people are, have more experience locally. We know what product management is, and you know we can kind of we're more sophisticated in building these ventures. Well, and the more people that have exits, the more people that are there to mentor, the more people like yourself are there to pass on. Hey, Absolutely. there's a landmine right over there. I've stepped on it before. Let's just walk around that. <laughs> Landmine. So with that, let's pivot into the product opportunity mapping because that is a framework to then help us maybe step on different landmines, but maybe to learn with a bit of a more of a disciplined approach leading back into product. So you said five questions. How do you want to unwrap it? Where this is this is visual. This is not a visual medium, so it's a yeah. little bit tough. But like, just give us a little bit of the framework, and we'll you know I got a smart, I got a good, I got a smart audience. They'll follow. Yeah. No, and it's 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 actually it's four questions. Oh, four, but, yeah. uh, we, maybe I need to make it make it five, but we'll start with. No, four. no if I had if you. Want as I had longer, I'd make it shorter. Four is great. Okay. People's going four. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, when I started this, I was kind of really interested in this whole notion. And, and I really thought that I had to be kind of this really clever person and have this really detailed, you know, 50 exercises and this really complex framework. And then <laughs> as I started digging into it, my, you know, and I think it's a lesson for every entrepreneur. I had a goal of talking to a hundred people. It's like just to hold this whole notion. Is there something there, which I, which I ended up doing back in, in 2017. And uh, it was really interesting because I started seeing threads, you know, common threads. And the more I simplified it, the more, work I got, the more, you know, conversations were, were more valuable. So I, I believe, or the, the foundation of product opportunity mapping is that if you want to create a successful product, you have to ask and answer four questions. And those four questions are, what problem are you trying to solve? And is it worthwhile solving? The second question is, who are your customers and where do they exist? The third question is, who's your competition? 
direct and indirect. And then the fourth question is why you, why now? Like what's your secret sauce, which is code for, you know, what's your value proposition and asking and answering those questions won't guarantee success, but what they will do is greatly minimize the chances of failures. And they are just the rock solid foundational pieces of every single successful product out there. And I, and I can tell you from, you know, I've been doing this for five years, kind of started from scratch. As I mentioned, my largest company is a $4 billion business. I've got a client in Taiwan. I've got to, you know, work with companies in Europe and startups. It's all the same. Like it's everyone has to focus on those things. So it's, it is kind of the universal questions. And the reason why we need to do this is that if you look at the studies, uh, the research shows that the majority of new products fail. And so failure is either complete failure or they don't, don't meet expectations related to, uh, to, for the products to set, set the expectations set out for them. And so if two thirds roughly, you know, if you kind of average it out, it's like two thirds. So if two thirds of the products fail, you know, that means you really like, I kind of want like, why is that? So I really wanted to focus in on that. And I've discovered asking and answering those four questions are pretty critical. I love it. And I love simplicity. I want, I, my brain loves complex, but I've also realized that's just my own indulgence. <laughs> and simple is always better, um, but invaluably simple, not simple for the sake of simplicity. Um, how iterative is this process? And I feel like I'm asking a redundant question, but it's so often I encounter, especially as a marketer, well, we've done, we figured this out. And you do a little bit of work, you're like, whoa, okay, are you up for, can we, can we review this? Nope, that's what it is. We've, but, but I'm like, but it's not working. When yeah. you work with companies and you, you said the word consultative, you don't just come in, deliver the product and walk away yourself. You consult over time. When you look at these questions, is it literally just a natural evolution of more customer feedback, more engagement, more products getting out there and then getting feedback of the part of the product uh, or the offering that didn't work the way you thought it would like how yeah. is this ongoing these don't go on the shelf i'm yeah. assuming no no you're right and, and so two ways to to i'll respond to that one is given the failure rates or new products are very high unless you are better than everyone else out there you and just you want to develop one product you could do that but chances are you're going to fail so really what your goal is is to create a pipeline so you need to have a, you know, the, the analogy is a pipeline, but it really looks like a funnel. Okay. You got to have the fat end of the funnel where you got to put in a bunch of opportunities. And so I find that, you know, for every one good opportunity or product that you're kind of getting into and developing, you probably need five, at least five to do that. So what that mm, means okay. is okay. if you want to have five products, you know, over the next two or three years launched, that means you got to have 25, 25. products in, in the hopper. So it's not a one-off deal. So you're really developing a pipeline. I like the five and to so, one ratio. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. Whatever it is. And here's yep. some industries that might be 10 to one. <laughs> I did a brainstorming session before Christmas and we brainstormed about 125 ideas. And I think maybe one or two will see the light of day, you know, for that. So yeah, that's I that particular, yeah, particular yeah. industry. So you're really developing a pipeline. So to the, what we do, you're right. It's not a one-off sort of deal. What we do, the, and kind of related to the pipeline analogy, which kind of talks about flow and the and the passage of time, is the accountability piece. And so, when companies are developing products, existing companies, they they've got to run a business, right? You know, and, and the urgent always outweighs the strategic. The strategic stuff goes in the back burner. So even though they want to develop new products, it often gets pushed off to the side. So one of the things I try to do is you've got to build up accountability. So as an outside voice and say, have you done what you're going to do? So what we do is basically have a process. And the process is some companies that might be monthly, some companies that might be quarterly. And we say, we're going to have a meeting, dedicated meeting, fixed in the calendar, and we're going to identify new opportunities. We're going to evaluate the opportunities in the hopper, and then we're going to select the ones you're going to develop. And then we're going to monitor over time, review over time. So every meeting, that's what we do. Identify, evaluate, select, and then review. And so it's really the front end, and it's 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 really intended to kind of start pushing the management team and everyone else to do it. And then the other piece just to overlay on top of that is, is that everyone says, yeah, we're going to develop new products. But as you as the CEO or the senior management team, if you don't want to you know, allocate the resources to it, time and cash or whatever, it's not going to work, right? So you kind of have to always tie it back to the corporate goals and so that's kind of part of the the overall. There overall is that, that layer of still of discipline. Like it's this is not a free for all yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. I just yeah, I say it's discipline, accountability. Yeah, no, I I love it. Identify, select, and review. I, 
I'm also assuming that, like anything, this is a learned process. I'm assuming teams also get better at it, get quicker at identifying, selecting, and reviewing, going, oh, yeah, okay, we have all this. And that willingness to go through that awkward stage at the beginning where this might feel a bit foreign. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to learn, right? Is to do it. Like the best way to learn is to actually do it. And so, kind of my goal is to, you know, teach the fishermen how to fish. But I, I often, and kind of my goal is say, you know, let's go through the cycle a few times. You guys are running with it. You won't need me. Uh, and and that's that's fine. I mean, I, I'm not intended to be there over, over the long term. But I have found that the where I do get invited back is I'm the external voice. And so a lot of these companies, every company is, is biased. And we kind of look at bias as a negative term. But it's just like when you create a successful business, you're, you have processes, the way you do things, that's your internal bias. And when, where a lot of companies face problems is in product development, they take those processes for their existing business and they try to apply those for products. You know, they want to diversify in a new area. They apply it to different, to different products and it doesn't work. And so having an external voice, which I try to do is like, you know, I'm, I'm of a certain age. I don't, not looking to make friends anymore. It's just like, I'll call <laughs> bullshit if, you know, if it has to do that and I'll try to call out the biases and it can be, you know, one, some of those biases can be the industry you're in. If you want to go into a different industry, the other one can be in your, you're guilty of this. That clear motive is that you're the hippo. You know, the hippo is the highest paid <laughs> oh, person's I love, opinion. I love that one. Yeah. And everyone's nodding. Oh, Tyler, Tyler, you're hitting, Tyler, you're hitting close to home with that one. <laughs> I know. I know you can take it, but everyone, well, Tyler says that's a good idea. So it's got to be a good idea. And you, everyone, their inside voice is going, well, that's ridiculous. So you need, because sometimes you need that external voice to just to kind of sometimes, keep people Sometimes, focused. Bruce, sometimes. <laughs> Surround yourself with people that aren't going to tell you you're pretty and smart every day because it's not going to get you anywhere but farther off the cliff together. (laughs) And now, a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the rest, it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second. I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that, where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in ending slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. Thank you for listening. And now back to today's good old fashioned chat. I really like what you said. And, you know, the larger the organization, I find I, I love, I'm going to start off calling it repositioning bias as just what it is, but not implying immediately it's a negative. That's yeah. so in our, oh, we've got yeah. all got our biases and they're negative. That bias probably made you very successful inside Absolutely. the construct of where it, Bang on. where it grew. And I really love, I love playing with words and we stuff gets put in categories that it's not fair. Oh, it's a bias. It must be negative. No, no, no. <laughs> bias to action, bias to framework. What's your view on in large organizations like modal or very deliberate programs that foster, you know, intrapreneurship, uh, things like mm-hmm. skunk works where you get out from under the governance, i.e. the biases of those very large risk adverse shareholder focused, successful organizations that go, we need to innovate, but we kill our own. We, we kill our own young <laughs> because we never yeah. let it get out. Do you recommend kind of pulling out and setting up like that larger company you're focusing on? Do they have a skunk works mindset or a group that literally goes off site? Like what are some of the frameworks yeah. that allow us to get out from under the bias? Uh, that, that's a really good question. Of course, it's, it's different for every company. Mm-hmm. So the larger businesses that I've worked with, there, there's a few patterns there. One is you have to have that 
CEO, executive, C-level suite buy-in. Champion, champions. And mm-hmm. champion to say, you know, that's okay if you fail or, you know, or if, you know maybe not repeatedly, but it's okay to take chances. <laughs> and then secondly, you've got to make sure that team has got the right resources. And so a, a recent example, where there's a company I'm working with, they're a, they're a $50 million company. They want to grow to $100 million. And uh, they they think they can organically grow about thirty million of that is organic growth. They're going to do an acquisition of for probably about fifteen million, and then they have a goal of saying we've got five million left over to get us to their ultimate goal. And we want to do that new products. We want to diversify in new areas, and that's great. So they say let's you know develop our products and generate five million dollars in revenues. And like, well, it's probably going to be twenty products you got to consider to get to the one or two or three that will you know generate Actually that work. five five million dollars. But the problem was they didn't have the resources. You know, it was run off the side of the desk of the guy in charge. So he needs to ha- make sure the CEO is giving the resources to do that. So that's that's one thing. And then the other piece, I mean, there's a ton of things. But the other one that comes to mind is I was working with a very large uh, company and uh, they had invested in a startup and it didn't work well. And I, you know, I had a beer with the guy afterwards and I and I think the, the, the issue was is, is really about risk and a lot of companies out there it's not like they seek their products succeed or fails they never actually fail so if you're a construction company and you're fail that means the buildings fall over and you're probably going to go to business if you fail so any startup you invest in or new product you get in there's a good chance it's going to fail and that's not in the dna of the of the company it's yeah. it's more yeah. like how successful will we be or how, you know, maybe we'll lose some money, but we're not going to fail. And so there's a, a business that I, they, they brought me in and they said, Hey, we got these product ideas, but they wanted to know, keep investing in the product to reduce the risk, reduce the risk, reduce the risk. And I concluded that they're never going to launch a product, right? Because a new product is really a prediction of the future. We can't predict the future. So at some point you're just going to have to launch and it's, it's good enough. And these, these senior executives of a very large, this, this was a financial institution. Oh, oh, so even more so from a DNA perspective, even more so. Yeah. 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 And I just concluded, you're never going to launch a thing because you don't have the right, like these people weren't given permission to, to actually, you know, potentially fail. So there, you really, that those are kind of two big things, the resources and the culture. And then, you know, when you get down to it, there's a whole bunch of other things that you need to develop content and education you know uh this very large company i work with they're fantastic because they they actually have uh, a program where they solicit ideas from every single employee in the company around the world like they've got offices all around the world so they generate you know they generate uh you know an idea a day like you know three or four hundred ideas a day or sorry a year you know kind of one per day and so that's great and it changes the culture and gets people thinking but now the reason they brought me in is they need to go to the next level how what, do we what, what do we do with this list what yeah. do we do with all that stuff yeah, and yeah. then are those ideas you're asking for are they consistent are they aligned with the corporate strategy where you want to take the business so you kind of have to try that yeah it's working we're going to make some changes but then we got to zoom back out again is this the best use of our time and resources hmm. that's a strategy question that's a ceo cc questions you know best use of time and resources so then you got to circle back is there a risk of and i'm just thinking about that financial institution of like falling in love with the idea of a product but not necessarily the full weight of everything that it entails or that you can't de-risk everything because it's part of the just nature of that but it's a bit sexy it's a bit attractive the illusion of it or the promise of of riches <laughs> well the uh the way i'll this is this is uh kind of a fundamental you know piece where we have in in large companies i kind of break it out into the solution space and the problem space Mm. so that first and and most important of those four questions is what problem are you trying to solve and i think the biggest failure mode for products out there the research shows that it's a it's you develop a product that is, is, is you developed a solution that's looking for a problem to solve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that yeah, happens the all the time. And all the metaphors. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, so you, you've, you've, you've got that piece. So people have a tendency to go into the solution space and say, oh, I can develop this thing. It does this, this, and this. But what they don't do is go back into the problem space. We're going to forget about any potential solutions. You need to understand your customers, the job they're doing, and the problem, like the sad reality of new product development is that for any company out there, your customers, they don't care about you. They don't care about your company. They don't care about your products. They don't care about your people. 
all they care about is a job they have to get done and in their business. And that job is either to alleviate a pain or it's to create a gain. I gotta make more money, I gotta make more profit, I gotta reduce the pain, which is I gotta you know reduce time, reduce cost or whatever it is. Yeah. That's it. And so you really need to understand that job they're doing and how you can solve that pain and gain. Then you develop the, the, the product. So going back to your question, a lot of people kind of zoom right to the product, they fall in love with it, and then they've invested so much into it and they're like, and then they'll, and even if they launch it, they're like, oh, we don't have enough. There's always one customer you can find, but there's not yeah, a, yeah. and that kind of relates to my second, second part of that question is, is the problem worthwhile solving? So are there enough people out there with that problem? And if you solve the problem, are you creating enough economic value to compensate for those risks that, that two out of three products are going to fail? You know, we all have limited resources, right? So again, it's you got to go back into that. Think about the problem space before the solution space. So very much also, these questions are in order. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, well, the other thing I'll, I'll say, I want to go go back to Alberta. I mean, this okay. is, I'm, yeah, yeah. And, and why? What's changed in Alberta? So we talked about you know product management is kind of is is becoming more of a, a you know a known sort of profile. And the, the traditional way of developing products, the way I learned it back in the last 20 years is new product development was like baking a cake. You got this recipe and you've got these stages, steps of the recipe and you got this and the kind of discipline was in the stage gating process. So you put the ingredients in and then you go through the recipe and you bake the cake and you've got your product at the end. What's really changed in the last 10 years is the whole notion of the lean startup. And so if I was to write an article about the 10 books, you know, about important books for new product development lean startup is really important one and one of the key principles of the lean startup is that is actually iterating so this kind of gets to the to point is you've got to develop a minimum viable product you've got to test with customers you circle back design a new hypothesis you test it out get some results circle back and so ideally you want to keep iterating you know the product all the way through so you're not developing a product and launching it you're hopefully going to test out features of that product. And so that notion of the lean startup is something that has changed uh, product development. And I think we're getting in Alberta, you know, where you, you look at product management, it's that's kind of what they're focused on. So they, their knowledge level in a company and in the community is getting higher. But that's uh, the lean startup sort of approach. I'm kind of putting a bunch of stuff in that term. But it, okay. it's a well, the book is, if you're interested in this, it's well worth reading that book called The Lean Startup by, by Eric Ries. You're like the 10th person. I've never, I just, you and I were joking earlier, I have the stack of books and I'm like, okay, I'm not allowed to buy any books until I finish the books that I have, which I love buying books as one hobby and I love reading them as a totally different hobby. <laughs> I think separating so, those you know two is really, is really disciplined. So just open up your browser <laughs> You know, yep. go to chat GPT and say, <laughs> summarize the book, The Lean Startup. And that's your, that's probably the you know foundational what? pieces Done. are there. I, I love it. We were joking about that earlier. Uh, if, if you haven't explored chat GPT3 and OpenAI and what they're doing, go check it out. It will blow your mind. <laughs> it is. This is, I think we'll say, and the amazing thing is it's only been out for, we're recording this in the middle of January. It's only been out for like six weeks. Totally. And I think we will look back and say, this was the game changing moment for AI in the world was the end of 2020. 22 first month of 2023 like this is we'll look back on this for sure i will anchor that in this episode and say remember when bruce said i couldn't agree like (laughs) and the articles that are now coming out about where microsoft is going with it and how they're taking a real startup mindset around it you know google's running a red flag meeting we're in trouble code red yeah yeah, i yeah code red i'm starting to use it 30 40 percent of time as my go-to search engine because it's not noisy it's not full of like i can just get an answer well, and it's interesting because yeah. it crashed yesterday, so it's not quite ready. I for know prime the last time. couple of days I've got the we're experiencing, but while yeah. I was doing that, it started telling me jokes about Chat GPT three <laughs> not being online, and yeah. I just showed yeah. it to someone at that point, and they were so enamored by the feed that it was pushing out of like how to meditate your way through, waiting for it to come back online, and she was blown away just by what it was doing, and she hadn't even asked a question yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, sorry, we, right. we spin off into another, but you know how long is? Well, just thinking about that as a product and an offering of how long open. AI has been working on that from GTP one, two, three, uh, when Microsoft took over, when Musk and a bunch of his buddies kind of stepped aside and now how Microsoft's looking at, but you think about this product journey, that's been what, 10 years, eight years. They've been like, this thing's been well, brewing way AI's, behind the scenes. Yeah. It's a really interesting story because it's, it, there's a not for profit version of, of AI, of open AI. And then there's mm-hmm. the for profit version. So they've developed Dali. 
the image generator, ChatGPT, yep. and this is just 3.5. There's a new version coming out. And uh, so it's, yeah, the journey is long. And they're, they're doing this right now and making it available just to test it out, right? Because that's this is how they're testing the product is giving people like you, you and I just to test it out. So they're getting a bunch of good data. But going back to, you know, comment about uh, U of A and U of C, my, my son, who is my oldest son, who's, who is in his mid-20s, one of his best friends works at OpenAI, right? You okay. know, U of A grad. And there's a bunch of this amazing Alberta talent that's going down there that is kind of at that ground zero of, of these, you know, seminal changes in, in technology. Well, Copysmith, something you want to check out. I got on my radar about a year ago. Uh, I forget the, the you mentioned earlier the the woman's name. I think it was her and her sister, but she had done uh, she, Jasmine Wang. Yeah, yeah she, she went to she, school she worked, with she my middle son here. I at see. Edmonton. Okay, so you're very familiar. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, and that's coming out of Edmonton, and she had done and she'd worked at at OpenAI, did an internship there, and then came back, and because of the relationship and the understanding, was able to build a tool that lived on top of the GPT three platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so we can geek out on this all. It's so interesting. Like you're right, and I have. I, it blows my mind, and I had, I believe I don't even conceive what's even capable yet. <laughs> I'm just using well, it, it at a very pedestrian level. It, and I think one of the other key things about about this is that I, you know, I've always been at the intersection of business and technology in my career. But I'm not a technologist; like I'm a business guy, and I've all, you know, I'm interested in technology. But what I'm really interested in is growth. And so my nice. first startup was at the dawn of the internet because. The internet was really growing. I got involved in some nanotechnology things and now AI stuff. And the reason I'm investing in AI and the reason I'm fascinated about uh, ChatGPT is it's growth. Like it's generating a ton of opportunities. But this time it's different in the sense that you don't have to be a business geek guy to do it. Like it is the tools are very accessible uh, and it's and you don't need a team of programmers to do a bunch of really cool technology things. So you think of transcription, you think of image recognition or a Google image search. Like it's a business person, a non-technical person like me can take advantage of this of this stuff. Well, it's the and part then, of the, the low-code, no-code movement to accessible AI and technology where you can plug in modules because you're the business expert and the technology you don't have to be the tech expert that's really exciting and that's where the game changes overnight and and i also think the last if we're going down this rabbit hole the last thing <laughs> we we'll apparently throw in here we are is, apparently we are we have yeah <laughs> is uh is the whole is the upwork and fiverr in and so i've mm-hmm. uh you know i've i've been uh i have this kind of notion of of creating a, a company that where i outsource everything it's kind of doing it as a thought exercise so i'm using you know upwork quite a bit now and there's these people in different parts of the world that are doing things for me for my company that are you know for a fraction of the cost of hiring someone here that's allowing me to build a business and so i'm just experimenting with it but that ability someone in in pakistan who has a really good internet connection that person would have to emigrate to North America to do what they're doing now, but they don't have to leave leave home. Yeah. So that in it, that's another piece. Even for things that can't be automated through AI and technology, we can outsource it. And I think it's fascinating because it's just changing how we do how we you know how we do business. Well, and the global financial impact of raising people out of a level of you know poverty, arguably, with what you just talked about, is you know you're talking about humanity even at another level beyond. Oh, I get work done at a reasonable price that I didn't normally afford so then I can build my company. I just read an article this morning. I forget the name of the agency, but a larger agency, but it was one of their more technology. They just hired two interns that are fully AI. And they, of course, it's a bit of a marketing ploy, but they're like, and they've named them and they have avatars and, you know, they're going to use them as part of their... um, intern team to really identify like well creating images for mood boards or doing some basic foundational writing for client presentations and it was just it was a great little pr side but this is just the beginning <laughs> yeah absolutely it is just the beginning okay well let's let's reel this back in here bruce as we go way off down the road and we'll, before we get done this call we'll have a startup based around gpt3 somewhere that you're already got that you're already working on i can tell by the clinton <laughs> well, right. well, yeah. well actually the thing is we could actually spend the next five minutes and start a company and that that's actually the friction available we can incorporate a company register a domain name do our copy you know our marketing develop a website we could do that in the next hour and we could literally start a company you know right away by simply with giving gpt3 enough information it would write a business plan for us (laughs) well actually i tried it yesterday in writing in the style of an investor pitch uh, because i've been getting involved in a mapping startup and i just tried it how to do how to do uh pretty good pretty good and so maybe let's do another podcast in a (laughs) while and our podcast is going to be we're going to start a business during the podcast 
So we'll make a video. We'll actually start a company in an we'll pull hour. The, we'll build the screen up. Okay, you know what? Yep. Challenge yep. accepted. I love this idea. Yep. That's okay, a, this we'll is a great that. idea. Start, start a business in an hour. Uh, using all the tools available and showing it. Mm, business in an hour. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You know what? Today's a good, I knew today was going to be a good day, Bruce. <laughs> um, moving back to your framework, moving back to where, where you see this headed as we kept, as we, as we spool through different cycles in Alberta, are you seeing also more people like following this discipline and the impact that's going to have? Like, I love your framework and we could spend hours just unpacking each question, but bringing it back to more startups, more evolving industries, more things that are going to drive change in, in our province. Where are we in the cycle? Are we still in the early days back to, you know, we've had so many exits, but five years now we'll just have that much more but this feels like this is going to be the backbone of where we go forward no matter what industry you're in product is the factor Mm -hmm. yeah i i really believe that if you're not good at these skills of new product development as an existing business you're going to be marginalized into mediocrity like you you, because if you don't evolve and take advantage of all these tools that are readily accessible to anyone in the world Someone's going to do it. If you don't, someone else will. So I really think that these these are skill sets for every company. And my experience has shown it is applicable to every company. Uh, You have to have a a good product, new product development framework. And then for a startup, if you don't have a product, you don't exist, right? So you have to have, you have to focus on those fundamentals. So, you know, I'm perhaps overstating it, but it's pretty fundamental skills you need to have. And I'm kind of been surprised uh you know you we met through your these tech forums and i make Mm -hmm. a lot of presentations to tech and it's people are eating up the content but i'm kind of surprised that and kind of wondering why aren't we that good at new product development and you know i think it's understandable in the sense that we're trying to new product is making a prediction of the future and so every startup that i've invested in you know i say i need a deck or a business plan or whatever it is and 20 years ago was the three inch business plan now it's a 10 slide deck and I, one of the conclusions I've drawn out of that is that every single business plan that I've read, and I've read hundreds of them, they've all been wrong. Not one of them has come correct because you're making a prediction of the future, right? Interesting. Okay. And so what my conclusion, and so an entrepreneur recently said, well, why are you getting me to do this if you don't, if it's going to be wrong? And I, what I'm really looking at is your thought process. Okay. And so how are you, do you have a framework? So I can evaluate this and ask questions, but in the future, you're trying to make these decisions. Do I trust you have the framework in your mind? You're going to make a good decision. And I'm trying to understand how you, how you think. And so that's kind of one of those things. So it's, it's how do you have the knowledge? Do you have a process? Do you, do you understand things? And that's, there's a lot of pieces there that need to come together. And I think that's just what, you know, related to product development, you have, we have to get better at it. So how do you do it? And so a framework and then kind of learn that content experience, all these things need to cut tie together. So it's not a, when I talk about it, you know, I can say the four questions, you know, you got to answer these four questions, but obviously you got to, you really got to dig in. But if you don't, if you don't allocate time to this, I think there's a good chance you'll be marginalized into mediocrity. Beyond reading. And so Sam, early in my career, and I'm listening to this, or or I'm thinking about, you know, you've got a mid 20 son. Do we take courses? Do we become certified? Do we do we do we follow this as a pursuit, as a career, as a vocation? If you to maybe maybe that's not even the right way to say it, but is that something that I'm certainly seeing a lot more? And look, uh, you can't turn the page of your internet of anything without getting pitched on some type of a course or some type of learning. Somebody's selling you something somewhere. Is that? Do you recommend that for people getting started in their career to really invest and go down this learning path, or is it also a combination of like you said, your top ten books? With you know, I think you you've mentioned earlier you're putting. Together, that list of like, hey, read these books because that's at least going to give you some foundations here. A combination of both, either one you'd recommend, yeah. depending. Well, it, it's all of the above. I mean, it yeah, really is enough. amazing how much content you think of LinkedIn Learning or you know all those other platforms. The content is out there. You just have to have to look for it. But the content is, uh, you know, it, it's it's great. It gives you a foundation. But the best thing you can do is is do it right. <laughs> and it, as we said, it's so easy to start a business. And so when you're younger you know, take those risks. Chances are like, I, I made a lot of really stupid mistakes in, in early startups, but I, I learned from it and I know you did too in, in your, your businesses. And so I think you just have to learn by doing. And then, but from a, a profession point of view, the whole um, product manager professional role, that is a fabulous career opportunity. And, and I recall this is before COVID, but talking to the CEOs of, 
of four or five of the top, what I consider the top technology companies at Edmonton, the ones that were growing and hiring mm-hmm. a bunch of people, yep. their toughest hire was a product manager. I've it wasn't heard. programmers. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, salespeople. It was, it was a product manager. And the, so that it's new. And I think there's a lot of, there's a product Alberta group. Like there's a lot of ways you can kind of dig into it. But if you're, you know, like to be at that intersection in between, you know, understanding what customers need and the problems they have and translating that to a programmer and then translating that from a technical person to a customer, what's possible. That's almost, I think it's actually one of the best training to be a future CEO because you got to make mm. decisions. You got to think strategy. So as a profession, I think it's a really exciting field and it's really just been in the last, last 10 years. But if you want really to want to, you know, related to entrepreneurship, if you're doing a startup, you have to develop a product, right? That, that's probably the most important content you can teach yourself is product development because it it directly translates to a you know to a uh, uh, building a startup, right? If you wanted to focus on one thing, it's not writing a business plan; it's just develop a product. And as we we're saying, you can develop a you know you could develop a product off the side of your desk, and it's something small, it might not be venture backable, but you'll learn. You'll learn it's a technical term. You'll learn a shit done by by doing that. <laughs> I like tech. I like technical terminology. <laughs> a crap load of learning is available. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate that advice, and I love, like you said, the accessibility and the 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 barriers that have come down astronomically for sure. Like you can do it. Like it's you know we all love the side hustle concept that's become popular. I love how I don't know. Well, you and I are maybe similar vintage, but you said you want to be entrepreneurial when I was in high school. You got sent to a remedial program. Where now we we we. We celebrate it and we elevate it and the side hustle and coming like I love that cultural that hustle that's around that type and it fits very well into what we kind of talked about today at the most simplest yeah, level, right? And you know, I think yeah, we are probably of a similar vintage. And when <laughs> I I went to U of A business school, there was one course in nineteen eighty eight on small businesses. Like that's it. And then I graduated and I I there was a fellow uh who was a retired partner from Pricewaterhouse Coopers and he wanted to kind of promote you know, the, these technology stuff that's going on at Edmonton. This is like early, late eighties, early nineties. He was one guy. He literally had a, at the local economic development agents, he had a, his office was a closet. And so that was it. <laughs> so it. that was what 30, you know, 30, 35 years ago. Yep. So you look at today, you know, you look at platform Calgary and then, you know, Edmonton unlimited here and Alberta innovates all these programs. I mean, it's, mind-blowing how much it's grown right and and doing that so it really has only been the last 30 years that we've kind of evolved this has really become an opportunity in the community uh and i really think that you take a lot of those business luminaries in calgary uh, you know who are now maybe in their 70s and 80s who have become billionaires i'm pretty sure if they were 21 22 right now they wouldn't get involved in the oil and gas sector or whatever, wherever they made their money in real yep, estate, they say, I'm going to involved in, in AI, right? And so I, I really think the opportunity today's, today has evolved. It's not just carbon-based energy. It's not just the natural resources. There's a ton of opportunities in, in the technology space. And now we seem to have that foundational, a lot of programs that, that help us. And if you're really interested, you know, it's, it's really about you digging into it. Like there's no excuses. No, like, there's, we're not. Not, there's no shortage of knowledge anymore. Like there may, there's no shortage of programs like there was 20 years ago. Well, on the availability, both, and I've had enough guests on from Calgary and Edmonton, there's so much community available. Just insert yourself, start going to the meetups, start going to the events. There's startup, startup TNT. Like you can just rhyme them off of like what's going on out there and at all different levels and people from all different industries. That's the fun part. Well, I was in this sector, often the energy sector, the fossil fuel sector for X amount of years. And I was just like, I took the risk and it was scary, but I did it. And all of a sudden I landed in this community that was, you know, been around for a while, but it's definitely grown since even starting this podcast three years ago. I was stumbling through trying to find out what was going on. And, you know, platform, I had Terry Rock on platform was an idea when I had Terry on. And now you draw, you walk into this venue and you're like, oh, wow, that, that worked out. And that was like kind of an idea 20 years in the making, if you want to really go back to the history of it. And, you know, now it's a major milestone in our, in our city. That's just the start of what's going on. And again, I can't speak to Edmonton as, as well, but I know you guys, I've often heard yeah, you guys have similar. a bit of a, had a bit of a better scene. I, I don't want, I don't want to say that because I'm very pro Calgary, but I'm pro Alberta. I've heard some good things about Edmonton. I'm not going to lie to you. It ebbs and flows. It okay, ebbs and flows, enough, right? But it, both Edmonton and Calgary have grown a lot. And then, 
And a lot of it has to do just with our high quality young people and, and universities, academic institutions, not just universities, but Nate and Sates and, and, uh, you know, Grant McEwen here at Edmonton. Like it's all, it's, it's all the above. We have really, really talented people and that's the foundation of every, every business. Yeah. A couple of those big unicorns, like you said, who really drive those spinoffs and a really powerful education system and some really yeah. great institutions pumping out super smart people that don't have to leave to follow their passions. I think that's another thing yeah. that Alberta Maybe Absolutely. have going against it a little bit, which I, I'm hearing a lot of different stories. And if you look across the country, it's not a lot of better places to live than Alberta right now, cost wise, quality of life wise. Like, yeah, I'm going to fly that flag over and over and over again. Well, I look at that globally, right? Yeah, I mean, fair enough, I, beyond Canada, I yeah, yeah. You know, we yeah. Anyway, we let's not go down another rabbit hole. <laughs> Bruce, come on, they're so fun. What are you talking about? I know. Okay, well, we Bruce, could, but I know we're limited for time. No, Bruce, that was fantastic. We can. We will. This is part one. That's all. I'm just going to leave it at that. There was so many more things we could discuss i really love to start a business an hour so you and i can uh, conspire on that one after we get off the show anybody wants to find out more again everyone can find anyone these days but what's your preferred how do you enjoy how do you prefer people to get hold of you mm. Uh, well, probably through LinkedIn is one, one piece. So Bruce Alton on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and, uh, so you just, you can search for my profile and then my website is product dash mapping.com. Nice. And, uh, I try to put up, there's a lot of blog posts and stuff on, on there that, that if you're interested in this, I'm trying to, you know, provide some resources out there if you want to dig into it, but you can get a hold of me through, through the, uh, through the website and then, I, I try to be, you know, active in the community. I'm in Calgary a lot and, nice. and, uh, uh, you know, look forward to, you know, you mentioned kind of those events and startup TNT. I think it's important for all of us to, to be part of those. So I try to, just be, to be in the be room, active in just those to groups. be in the room yeah, and bump absolutely. up against it. <clears throat> and I haven't read it yet, but your new, new product development primer generated by chat GPT three is the 100%. latest article you, you just put up. So I'm going to, yeah. I already shared that with a couple of members of my team here before we were, when I was, when I was professionally yeah. creeping on you this morning before we got on the show. So I am going to check out that article. That's on my next thing to read today list. But Bruce, it was awesome having you on. I love the passion. I love the energy. I love your curiosity and how you've channeled it into these areas that are very deliberate. But I know I certainly sense a really deep underpinning and even you and I talking about our book list and where you consume information and how it affects your thoughts and your ability to look at problems and solve things in different ways the ability to think effectively in uh, sometimes a fast moving environment that in itself is something that needs to be worked out I think on a daily basis right for anyone listening <laughs> yeah no uh, thanks for that and and it's it's uh, I've listened to your your many of your your podcasts and it you know a good podcast is is driven by the host and getting that conversation going right like it's really it's critical and i think these sort of conversations really open people's eyes of what's going on and they they can be very thought-provoking so that's thanks hope. for doing this over the last uh last what three years and, yeah i just and did for many uh, years epi- to come. episode 300 uh, back in december wow. which uh, that's fantastic when, when a good when, when something gets completely carried away <laughs> and, and and you still love it 300 episodes later you know you, you know you found uh, you're on to something. yeah you're in you're in your spot anyways but thanks for the feedback and that was a fantastic chat thank you great thanks tyler